Welcome to the Partridge Podcast presented by Exodus 4x4. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm your host, Bubba Brian, and to my might, my right, Mr. Ryan Anderson, and uh, as always, coming at us remotely from Jinx, Oklahoma, Mr. Tony Payne. What's up? We recently released a video on YouTube uh, about Dana 60 axles, but, you know, that's not the end-all, be-all of the, of the conversation. So we thought we'd do a podcast and elaborate on not only the stuff that we talked in the video, but some of the other axles that we weren't able to cover because they're not Dana 60s. Uh, maybe they're not mainstream mainstream crate axles, quote unquote. So we figured this is a good opportunity to sit back in a little bit more relaxed environment and talk about axles. Tony, with all your mini Jeeps that you've owned over the years when did you feel it was necessary to start upgrading your axles and not just the axle complete axle assembly i'm talking about but axle shafts so maybe we should start in axle shafts and work our way into the complete axle assembly for me i didn't upgrade i ran stock until i went to 40 mm-hmm. on a jk and then i put dynatrack uh, on there that was yeah. the first uh, axle swap that i did full axle assembly swap but uh, as far as upgrading components, I, you know, I went from 35s on a JK to 40s. I skipped 37, so I didn't really ever get into RCVs or chromoly axles or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, just skipped it. <laughs> so in your your CJs and TJs, you never did any kind of axle upgrades whatsoever. No, those were trail rigs. I mean, they were just uh, I didn't I didn't really get in when I knew I wanted to go on the JKX and go down to the Jeep experience. That's when I was like, okay, I'm going to need to build something so that I can hang with these guys. And there's certain, you know, requirements to go on those trips. And I decided to try to check those boxes mm-hmm. and built that first Jeep. So the Dynatrack held up well. On the now in your previous Jeeps that you owned before that, that you didn't upgrade, did you ever break anything? Axle was no. Nope. What was the largest tire size you ran on those? 35, 35s. So in your TJs and your JKs before, the red, the red one you took on JKX, you never did any axle upgrades, ran 35s, wheeled it? Not like we will now. That's an interesting uh, point right there is wheeled it like we will it now. Like, what was the reasoning behind that, do you think? Um, I felt more confident. I mean, I hate to use the tagline, confident to explore, but, you know, yeah. once I got 60s underneath there, I felt like, all right, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. The odds of me breaking something super low. Um, and not ruining my trip, my vacation. So, you know, that we survived the JKX that way. Um, and, you know, there's some peer pressure too. I mean, you're, you're out there with you and JJ and of course, Randy, and then, you know, Mel, Eddie, all those guys, those guys are hitting it hard. That trip was why, in my opinion, was wide open. Um, mm-hmm. and it was a great time that really, really kind of loosened me up to the whole idea. I was like, Hey, I can actually push this thing a lot harder than what I'm used to pushing vehicles. And then when we went to the last build, um, rooster, I was just like, you know, I don't think I'm going to break it. So um, I, I put that thing in some nasty spots, and I had a lot of horsepower and put them in a bind and never broke anything, hub, axle, nothing. So I think, you know, I think at that point you just feel confident in the rig and, you know, what you can and can't do. So you just keep raising the bar until you trip over the bar, I guess. Yeah. I think one of the terms you used in there was peer pressure. I think that's probably one of the bigger ones that people find themselves pushing their Jeep builds a little bit further than maybe what they intended was trying to keep up with the Joneses. A little bit of that, you know, a little bit of peer pressure from friends egging them on, stuff like that. But I think as people use their rigs and they get more comfortable with them and they uh, get a little bit more riskier with them, then they start feeling like it's time to transition to upgrading the current axles you know whether that be heavier components inside more heavy duty or just going and past all that and, and skipping right to big heavy duty axles and when i say big heavy duty axles i guess what i'm really referring to is the dana 60s because uh and i don't want to go into the, those too much but i feel like that's where where we really say okay now we're getting to big big boy land right dana 60s and then there's the the rear 80 uh, maybe the Rock Chalk 70s, stuff like that. So, But before we get into those, you know, we, we need to talk about the upgrades that you can do to the, the stock axles or maybe upgrading the, just the front to a, a, and to use cheap as the best example. Going from a Dana 30 to some aftermarket Dana 44. So, and Ryan, 
you're you're a good one to ask this question because you you know you went you've been through the build iteration over the last couple of years and years progressed you started out with a rubicon and then you beefed up the axles a little bit or no yeah i did uh rear axle shafts and sea gusset at the front yeah so nothing too crazy just beefed it up a little bit based on what i recommend doing but you ran 37 inch cooper stt pros yes that's not a light tire and you 1350 will- as well yeah, 37, 13, 50, 17 Cooper STT Pros. Ran those reliably. You were ginger amongst the rocks. Yes. As you I am not and a... frolicked amongst the, <laughs> the hillside. Yeah. I'm not a full throttle kind of guy on the rocks. I, I crawl. You crawl it. Yeah. yeah. When in doubt, he backs out. <laughs> Doesn't throw him out. And tries again some other way. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, man. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, that way you can drive it home without having to fix something. If you had a Rubicon, that's one way of doing it. You could, you, you know, you could throw some chromolies in there, some truss and sea gussets. I'm not a big fan of spending a bunch of money on the stock housings. When I see a guy that I know is going to be within a year, he's probably going to be coming back and talking about either a different axle housing altogether or he's going to move over to the the 60s so that he can comfortably and reliably run 40 inch tires. Tony, did you ever have you ever bought a Pro Rock 44? That was my original when I was going to do 37s on that red Jeep. Yep. Um, I was just do the Pro Rock 60, the high what is it a high pinion in the rear, um, and then the Pro Rock 44 on the front. Mm-hmm. So they had that that five lug bolt pattern uh, version that you could buy at the time. I can't remember what it was like. A, they had a weird name for it, but it was a good kit. Um, and you can keep your wheels. With I think that was the Trail 60 or something. Pro like that. float? Pro float? No, Pro float's still new. Oh, later? Okay. Yeah. Um, relatively trail. new. This is like the Trail 60 or something like that. I think. Mm-hmm. Jake had one in the back of his JK. So he broke it. <laughs> but eventually we took those out and we went full float on it. And uh, we actually put Super Duty axles in there, which we can touch on uh, also. I'd love, love to touch on the Super Duty axles because... We didn't do that in my video, you know, because we were trying to stick to crate axles and stuff. So, right. you know, I ran a Pro Rock 44. So I did several different types of iterations on on the on the JK when I bought it. You know, I upgraded stuff internally, chromoly axle shaft, stuff like that. And then I, I bought a Pro Rock 44, tried that out. Then I did that TerraFlex full float conversion thing, you know, where you free spin kit in the front with hubs and then the rear you, you put in the spindles and convert to a full float and then eventually built some super duty axles and then built some nine inch axles so i've been through several different iterations in terms of axles honestly going back to the beginning of it all when i i was not the beginning of it i think the pro rock 44 was a was a beast of a dana 44 housing don't think you can get you can beat that. There's several out there. You could do the UD44. You can do the Curry uh, 44 replacement housing. What I liked about the Pro Rock was the fact that you could take your Rubicon parts and move them over to that housing. So it saves you some money on lockers and axle shafts if you'd already invested in it. You know your heavy duty steering and stuff like that. It was a good solution at the time. I think there's, I think it still is too. If you have a Rubicon. And you just want to run 37s hard. I think that's a really solid option is the, the Pro Rock 44. But then, you know, Curry makes a really good 44 housing also that you can do the same thing with. We did run into issues one time with a, the with a Curry housing, but it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I've run into issues with every axle manufacturer at some point, you know, and, and because that's just the way it's going to go. And it doesn't matter which axle it is, whether it's, you know, what brand it is, or what size it is. It doesn't matter. It's it's comes down to at some point there was a human being and they were left in charge of the QC on it and that one slipped through the cracks and then it ends up here and we find it and blah blah blah. Every yeah. every single manufacturer axle that we've ever installed, we ran into that issue at some point. So you can't really fault and say one axle, you know, has more of those problems than the other. I'm sorry. What were you gonna say, Tony? Well, you're. Are you referring mostly to JKs right now? Yes, um, because, yes. Because yeah. the front axle in the JL is pretty, pretty strong. I don't even not know bad at all. I mean, I have to give them a lot of credit. Let's touch back on that alone. Don't let me forget that. But I'm going to finish my thoughts on these quote unquote crate axles that you can, you know, housings or whatever that you can use to convert your Rubicon over. I think there's a lot of good options there between Curry and and Dynatrack that 
that you can find what you need to build a really reliable Dana 44. And then there, like I said, the UD 44 is not a bad axle cost wise. It's a great option, but if you're willing to spend the extra money for something in the, in the, in the realm of Curry and Dynatrack, then you're going to get a solid product. You, you're going to get a beefier product out of it. And you, it's just more peace of mind when you're off the, on the trails. So, and I try and tell these guys and like, just because you've beefed this thing up, doesn't mean you need to just go out and beat the living hell out of it and not break anything. You still can, but you've definitely uh, raised that threshold of goofing off that you can do on the trail with it. And the housings aren't really what breaks most of the time. Anyways, it's the ring and pinion or the axle shafts. So beef it up and, and spending a bunch of money on that housing is going to get you somewhere, but it's not going to get you all the way. So you really need to still be careful with it, even though you upgrade it. But back to your point about the JLs. Now that was on the JKs and the TJs. We put them in, we put some really nice beefy uh, front axles in, in TJs as well. The rear axles in the JKs and, and JLs, whatever, JTs have always been really stout. And when the JK came out and they went with a, a thick cut ring gear, the rear, I mean, it was just a really beefy, you know, you see guys wanting to put trusses on them and stuff like that and never... Never really saw the benefit of that unless you were going to do like some triangulation or whatever and you needed a place to mount your upper control arms. But overall, I never felt like the rear axle needed a whole lot of help other than chromoly axle shafts. It's the only thing I ever did to mine. Yeah. And we've seen, uh, and, and as far as failures go on rear rear axles in the JKs, Dana 44s, really the only thing I ever saw was but other than broken axle shafts. We had one guy spin his diff uh, out somewhere and we had to correct that. And we, we, we were able to fix that, weld the tubes in, in, you know, so you would never have to worry about it again. But, and that happens quite a few, uh, that's happened quite a few times, not in, not at our shop, but in other builds, somebody else's builds, we've seen a lot of that. So, uh, not uncommon, but not super common either. But yeah, the, now when you talk about the JL, boy, did they, uh, they really stepped it up. So the front axle, with the exception of the fad, uh, we were, it seemed like we saw a lot of failures when they first came out, fad breaks and the aluminum knuckles giving out on the trails, stuff like that. But I think that was people really testing the limits of those axles and seeing what they could get away with. And then guys were building truss kits that would beef up the fat area. You can get the steel knuckles that you could get on other models and replace the aluminum ones. So definitely an improvement though. And I think the only failure that I really seen was I didn't like the fad think that you know if they were going to go to that much trouble locking hubs would have been awesome and way better but we live in a society where people don't want to get out and do a little work they'd rather just push a button and i think that's why we see the, the resurrection of the fad because we hadn't seen it on a jeep since the yj it was interesting to see jeep bring it back in the jl and jt but seems to be holding up so that being said there are options to replace that front axle with like a Dynatrack makes a replacement axle for the front of the jail, but I've never sold one. Uh, oh, actually we do have one coming up. Uh, we've, we sold customers have been rescheduling for a better part of a year because he's overseas, oh, yeah. but we do have a pro rock 44 to install in the jail for a guy. He didn't start out with the Dana 44 in the mm -hmm. front. He started that out with a Dana 30 Yeah, or M186. Tony, what do you what do you have anything to add there as far as uh, the stock axles are nowadays in the JLs and JTs? I see a lot of people being more successful on 37s, um, where they, you know, would bend them on the JK. So I saw people put those stock JL axles through the paces out at uh, Paladero, and I was impressed. But it did seem like you know it's a lottery. One guy makes it up just fine in a JK with the same setup, and the next guy breaks a pinion, and they same line, same. I mean, they really felt like they hit it the same power, the same foot. Everything they did pretty much the same, and one gave out, one didn't. So, I mean, I think there's just some luck in the thing, too, you know, running that big of a tire in that situation on those axles. Yeah, and then you never know, man. There's there's a lot of times where um, people will damage stuff on the trails, previous trails or whatever, and they get out there, and they finally find the, the straw that broke the camel's back. A good example of that would be our good friend Jake, who's back here once again to fix something he broke in his Jeep. <laughs> we pulled the axle shafts out, and they were twisted, uh, but not broke. So, you know what I mean? It's like, well, he twisted them. The next time he took that thing out and he hit it hard on a rock somewhere, he was probably going to break an axle shaft. And it's easy for people to go, oh, well, that's the obstacle he broke it on. Well, not really. I mean, it is, but that's not where it started. So... Yeah. You know, it's hard to pinpoint when somebody really breaks something unless you just took your part, your rig apart after every trail run 
and you inspected everything on it, you put it back together. So uh, I think he did a lot of things in Moab last time he was out there that, that stressed that Jeep out, and finally it gave up, and we got it back together again. It's weird. Uh, that's not always the case, though. When you when you talk about those situations, like a guy, two guys going out there, very similar builds, trying to go up something, and one breaks and one doesn't. But more often than not, that comes down to the driver himself and his finesse with that right foot and getting up and over stuff. So that being said, he, like I said, I mean, Jake broke a, a, a perfectly good Sterling 10 and a half rear axle, which is a, that impressive. Is, that is not a small axle. <laughs> you know, that's, that's quite an upgrade. And, uh, he, heavy foot. <laughs> he's got a heavy foot, but he's got a four or eight stroker in that Jeep. But I don't think he did when that, that happened. I think that was still the original six OLS that we had beefed up, which still had a lot of power, but. Jake, you know, you got to risk it to get the biscuit. So Famous words. Famous words. But he's a great example of somebody that with a very heavy built rig, you know, and I say not heavy like the Jeep is heavy itself, but it's a beefy built rig and it can still break. So just because you go out and you buy these axles and, you know, I've seen guys with V6s, not always about the V8, you know, I've seen guys with V6s go and break, break these big heavy axles. It's um, it's about how you're using that power. You know, you don't want to free spin your tires and suddenly grab traction with it because it's something's gonna break. So, even though you go and you spend a bunch of money on axles, doesn't make it bulletproof. Get you closer, but it's not the end all be all. So, yeah, I think um, housings. You know, before we get off the topic of the the stock axles and what you can do to them replacing housings, beefing them up with externals isn't the place where I would start. If people are looking at slowly, progressively beefing up axles, you know, I would start. And if you got a budget, start with chromoly shafts. A, a great example of, of, a, of a good uh, progression through building up your axles would be a guy with a Rubicon. All right. So, you you know, a guy that can buy a, a beefier housing down the road and move his parts over. I mean, you could do that. Well, no, I mean, you really need a, a, a Rubicon to do that because you need that Dana 44 ring and pinion in that locker that you need that carrier. So guy starts out, he puts chromoly axle shafts in the front, maybe some really good, you know, like rebuildable ball joints or something like that, or ball joint deletes. Because um, I, I say ball joint deletes because I think he's working, the guy that makes those is working on a kind that don't weld in, that you could actually press back out of that housing and move over to your new housing. So... You know, building up your stock axle and your, your Rubicon and with heavier-duty parts and then eventually say, okay, now I can afford that housing. You buy that housing and now you can move all those parts over to it and sort of progressively build that axle. And in the end, have a really reliable axle that it, I think even if, even if you wanted to run 38s, you could run 38s. And then in the rear axle, and in the front for that matter, you can go to 35 spline axles with ARB, I believe, and AUX. I know AUX for a fact, and ARB, uh, pretty much you can buy a, a 35 spline axle differential. So you could replace your differentials and put some real beefy. 35 spline is what you would find in most Dana 60s. Some are offering now 40 spline. So you can really beef these things up and then, the, you know, leaving your weak point as the ring and pinion itself just being the Dana 44. So there's ways of doing it where you can sort of, you know, budget your build over a few years uh, to get to where you really want to be. And I think ultimately you can run reliably on those Dana 44s that have been built up a, thir a good 38-inch tire like the Nitto's now giving us the ridge and the trail. There's some other tires out there I don't really care for, you know, as, as mentioned before that I won't, I won't mention again. But then really after that, you, you should consider going up to Dana 60 to run 40 inch tires, which I think this now will move to the, the Dana sixties. And there's several great options that I covered in that YouTube video already. You know, you could talk about them, but some that we didn't talk about, let's start with those super duty swaps because uh, they were real popular back in the day when they when, when guys started figuring out that you could take them and put them underneath the Jeep and everything still function with the correct ABS work on those axles. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm one of the guys that's done that before, built them for some people. But I think what people need to understand before they colonate, say, hey, is that a cheaper option? Can you do that for me? It got to a point where it was really cheap when it started to do the Super Duty Axle conversion. 
but that was really geared towards guys that were doing that in their garage and they were going out and sourcing those donor axles and then look at a set of like i think at the time dynatrack proc 60s were 12 995 or something like that and then i was like well by the time i put all this labor and money into building you a set of axles you could have gone and bought those and i would actually made money selling you a set of axles instead of building them so I think it kind of waned off, you know, a little bit around that time. But I think with the price of axles going up so much now, that that may be a market that uh, will resurge itself. Tony, did you ever entertain the thought of Super Duty axles? Or what's your experience with them? You ever wheeled people with them? Nah, well, I mean, I'm probably wheeled with people with them. But um, I thought about it initially, and then I realized, well, you know, I don't know how to set gears. So... By the time uh, I figure that out or pay somebody to do that, pay to have it powder-coated or cleaned up, you know, I could get it clean, but I wouldn't want them powder-coated. Yeah. Um, the money just wasn't wasn't right for the labor, where I could just order something from Dynatrack. And at the time, it was with, I think I paid thirteen five for those first set of Dynatrack. So it was still pretty, it was expensive to me, but it was still in the realm of what I was going to spend on the Super. Yeah, and, and now thirteen five is a bargain for oh my a God. set of crate Dana 60 axles. When did F9s become the cheapest crate axle out there? That's, that's yeah, right? Yeah, I recently looked at the UD60s and what I was selling them for a year or two ago versus what they're selling for now is, is insane. It's uh, it's crazy what, yeah, I mean, the Curry F9s, I don't know what they cost today, but I know that the UD60s cost more than what I was selling the Curry F9s for a year ago, and that's pure craziness so that's okay. why i say it's probably going to be more appealing for people to buy those dana 60s or uh super duty axle conversions and in fact we just we just built one for a guy we we modified the housing so on the for those that aren't aware if you were to do a super duty axle conversion the popular way to do it is to use the ford front 60 and then a gm 14 bolt rear because of the the location of the the differential housing itself on the axle it would be easier probably to buy the sterling 10 and a half to source it uh the problem was that the differential was too offset to the passenger side and would hit the fuel tank when you were stuffing up that passenger side so one of the tricks that you can do is if you have the right equipment and we do is actually cut the axle tubes because the axle shafts are different links and you can flip one side to the other by taking the amount of difference in axle shaft length from passenger driver's side, if you were to take that out of the driver's side and add it to the passenger side, then you can take the axle shaft from one side and put it in there. You can actually switch, switch sides of the axle shaft. And now the pinion is perfectly centered in the, in the axle. So now it becomes easier to use that housing. However, you will need to locate your control arm brackets, uh, like stuff like the Artec Trust stuff that would locate those uh, control arm positions for you based on the centerative will no longer work. So uh, it takes a little bit more work and a little bit more thinking, but I think people are nowadays versus five to you know six, seven years ago are more aware of all these things, like why this geometry is so important. You can't just put brackets on their willem. So. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for people to do this on their own anymore, but I think it's becoming, uh, it is going to become more of an option for people and even shops to build these axles and uh, for customers. So the Super Duty axles, uh, the conversions, whether you did the 10 and a half rear or the 14 bolt, doesn't matter. The downside to the, the Super Duties was the metric bolt pattern, but which can easily be converted to eight on six and a half and very popular wheel pattern. So there's definitely uh, ways to get around all that and, and make it all work. Whether you go Sterling or, or 14 bolt in the rear, it doesn't matter. So, and there's some really cool trick stuff being developed right now, component wise to add to those axles. I just wanted to point out yeah. um, that point who stands behind that axle uh, because of that, you know, at that point it's your axle. So mm -hmm. if you, if you $12,000 setting up those axles and you could have spent 14 grand with Dynatrack or Curry at the time, you at least have a manufacturer standing behind what they built and what they shipped to you. And they're cool. They're yep. We, hey. you know, we ended up with the wrong tone rings, right? Mm -hmm. uh, on my rear F nines and Curry was completely awesome about that. Right. We were already on our way to Baja and they just said deviate to the shop. And I mean, just 
I can't believe he did that. And he swapped out the tone rings for me and sent me, sent me South. And yeah. you know, there's something to be said for that uh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've always preached this, that customer service is more important. A lot of times it is everything, you know, because what good is spending all that money on that really cool part? If the guy that's selling it to you won't stand behind it. And because at some point it is going to fail, it's not going to last forever. So whether it's out of warranty and you just need to be able to hit them up and get those parts, doesn't matter, you know, whether a guy out of warranty is willing to pay for the part, if that place isn't there anymore, who the hell is going to know what part it needs or who's going to supply that part? So you got to be very careful about, you know, what you buy and how you build it. That's an excellent point, Tony. Customer service is everything. I wouldn't be afraid to build a set for a customer and put in their rig because I have confidence that we're always going to be able to stand behind them or we will build it in a way that no matter where they're at in the world, you know, world, the country, that they can get the replacement parts they need, you know, building, building something weird. Now we've had to do that with the, with the, uh, super duty front axle where we've had to, uh, move the diff over towards the center a little bit more, a little bit more than usual. So there's ways of building the super duties to make them work. And the reason we had to move that diff over, if, if people are wondering, was because of, uh, to give room for the shocks. When you run a dual shock mount and trying to run it low pro, you want to mount those shocks in a way that, that are give you, allow you a good center of gravity. So that's why we had to do that. Another option, now that we've kind of discussed lightly the Super Duty axle builds, would be those Dana 60 axles, the hybrid axles. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this conversation. Yes, because it seems to be in our world it's a it's a hot option because what people will do is unknowingly build these jeeps up for the v8 conversion right so they spend years on building the jeep up in armor and then they add uh, you know beadlock wheels and they a really rad suspension and they do all these things to this jeep and make it really heavy and then they realize oh man i need more power I need a V8 approach me wanting to do a V8 build. And it's kind of heartbreaking when they're like, well, I'm, I want to run forties on this thing with this V8. That's, that's my goal. Now you got to tell them, well, you're going to, if you want to run a V8 and forties and you want to run them hard, or at least occasionally run them hard, then you're going to want to put something in there, um, a bigger ring and pinion, like a Dana 60, something that's going to be able to hold up to all that leverage and, and torque. So that's where the conversation goes from, well, yeah, you want to spend a bunch of money on a V8. Well, I'm also going to need you to buy these full float Dana, minimum Dana 60 axles. And, you know, realistically, when you tell somebody that, you can look at the axles and go, oh, well, I can get you a set of axles. I could probably do this for $15,000, right? Well, that's just the axles. Now you got to buy some wheels, because the wheels that you have before aren't going to work on those full float axles. So not only are the axles expensive, but now you're going to, you're going to run into having to buy wheels for them. And those wheels, I mean, nowadays, man, you're, you're going to be put, you're going to run beadlocks. You're going to be pushing close to three grand for a set of awesome beadlocks, you know, well, not awesome beadlocks, but beadlocks like uh, what we're used to buying, like KMC's uh, machete beadlocks, something like that, you know? Their, their prices are up there, man, They're up to almost 600 bucks a wheel. So buying five of them, you're going to be damn close to three grand on top of the axles and then paying the shop to mount and balance the wheels and tires, you know, and, um, it, it just can, it just keeps adding up. And then the steering linkage you got to buy, you know, you gotta, you gotta change it all out. So right now, the best option for those guys is they come in and they're like, Hey, I want to, I want to go ahead and do this V8 swap, you know? And I think right now the the six four Hemi uh, in a jail is going to be around. JT is going to be around thirty eight thousand dollars. And then you tell them, well, if you you, you want to run forties and you want to run it hard, you have to buy some some at least some Dana sixties. And well, what's that going to cost? Well, you're going to add. You're easily going to add another twenty twenty grand to that build easily. But then Curry came out with these axles that are available for the JK, the jail, and the JT, and they're Dana sixties front and rear. Uh, but they're, they're not the full float. They're the semi-float axles, but man, are they a great option because they're still 35 spline in the front with the exception of the stub shaft, chromoly shafts though, running ARBs or Eaton's, whatever you want. I prefer the Eaton, but the rear is offered with a 40 spline 
Eaton Locker, which right now can't even get it. But you know, but the option is you can go to you can go with the thirty five spline Eaton Locker still, and uh, which is plenty, man. So twelve and a half thousand dollars for this axle shaft uh, for these axle sets, and then the only thing that you really need to change that you won't probably have on your Jeep already, but you might is a high clearance tie rod in the front to get around the diff because that is going to be much bigger. So that's that's one that I touched on in the in the in the recent axle video. Other than that video, Tony, have you seen those up close and personal anywhere? Yep. Just the trail version. I haven't seen the curry. I mean I saw the Dynatrack trail version, but yeah. I haven't seen the curry. But that is that is my goal for my gladiator build when I get like the fate last. Right. Thirty eight on those. Um, is what I want to do because I don't want to buy wheels again. I mean, yeah, no, no. And, that, and that's the thing, man. It's like, and it might be a wheel that's not offered in the full float. Like take, for instance, you know, we touched, touched on this in the Pedlock podcast where we talked about Hutchinson rock monsters. The five on five pattern is a really great looking wheel and I love it. And then you go to the eight on six and a half pattern. It's not bad, but it's not what I prefer. What do you think about that pattern, Ryan? Do you, um, the Hutchinson's I've never seen an eight six and a half. Yeah, it's not the prettiest looking yeah. wheel. I've but, seen a five on five, but I've never seen them. Yeah, I love the five on five. I love that wheel. So if you already had that wheel, and you're going up to a Dana sixty, you you may not want that Hutchinson Rock Monster in the eight on six and a half. But now you got that option where you get to keep it and run it on that Curry and and still have most of the strength that you would get. And I'll be honest with you, man. A lot of people dog the semi float axles, but what they're referring to is, well, yeah, on the JKs especially, it was bad because they had such a weak transition from the shaft to the flange on the stock axles. So a lot of people were going to chromolies. But in reality, what they needed to do was increase that radius during the transition from shaft to flange. And by doing that, giving it more surface area, it's less likely to bend there. So when you look at one of these axle shafts on these curries, and I posted one on Instagram. That radius transition between shaft to flange was huge. So I have a hard time seeing where that, that's going to bend. Did you ever see that picture, Tony? I did. It was insane. Yeah. I, mean, it, I wouldn't be worried about breaking it. I guess, I guess with the full float, you know, for the people that don't know, if you break the axle, you can pull the axle out and you can still be towed out sure. off the trail. The axle in a semi float, you're probably in a bind. Um, yep. But. Uh, you know, I think I'm confident with 38 in the way that I would wheel that that's not going to be an issue because I wouldn't wouldn't wheel like I did with Rooster on F9. Just wouldn't do it. So. Yeah, and I think in the Gladiator, that's a that's a good point. In the Gladiator, you're probably not going to wheel it like you would a Wrangler, anyways. Uh, the Gladiators tend to to force you to take different lines, and and I tell you, man, that's not a bad thing because it gives you more time to 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 look at that obstacle and size it up and figure out what's the best safest route over that obstacle so you know if, if you're doing that in a gladiator already uh you're probably not going to be taking the most aggressive line on that obstacle so you're probably not pushing it the same way you would in a wrangler or maybe i don't know maybe you are but I you just are. think, yeah, maybe I am. You get more time to size it up and, and you're probably a little, you get slowed down a little bit. So those axles are, I think they're killer, man. And, and I'm telling you, when you, when a guy's in here and he's talking about, you know, hey, I want to go up to the, yeah, I'm going to need to go to Dana's 60s. Well, then you tell him, well, you, instead of spending $20,000 for a set of axles to make them work, now you're only going to spend 12 and a half. Well, Let's say that he had the budget for the, the, the 60s. Well, you just created another, you know, $7,500 worth of, of add-ons that he was, that maybe he can put into something else where he really needs to beef things up. Uh, maybe it's skid plates or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, and maybe he had other dreams planned for this build and he thought he was going to have to sacrifice them in order to make the 60s work. And now he doesn't. So I think this actual, this axle options opening up a lot for other areas on the Jeep to be improved as well. And not just those. So that's a great point because the plus, plus he didn't have to buy wheels, right? So he saved another three grand on top. Well, and then go ahead. in a PC, you got, you know, you got it. Still got an axle <laughs> shaft. I'm sorry, drive lines that you need to buy. So, and, and if it's an overland build, you know, you could spend a ton of money behind the cab in the bed of those things. Yep. So, 
Um, and that's all great points. You can get to get to where you want and have a very capable rig. Absolutely. That's where I see this being used the most is those overland guys uh, building those real heavy gladiator builds, the V8 guys, you know, and gals, whatever, that are, are building these things up and then needing that extra ring and pinion strength. I think this is a solid option for them. And, you know, if, if Eaton ever makes the availability of the 40 spline option, which is, that's crazy, man, putting a 40 spline in the back of that thing with a semi-float axle shaft, it's not, it's not unheard of, but it, it is crazy to think that that's an option that's a lot of axle shaft uh that's a lot of strength and i just don't see people breaking that thing okay so i don't i don't want to turn this into that you know this podcast strictly into those axles but well, that's that a great option what ryan yeah i actually have some while we're on the subject of these axles if you could maybe explain to everybody listening watching whatever mm -hmm. uh the difference between semi-float float full float yeah you know. good point i i forget i assume people know those things so the semi-float is where the axle shaft itself that runs from the differential out to the uh, outside of the axle you know to the end of the axle now on a semi-float that is a one piece so the axle shaft will run all the way out and then transition into a flange that has the wheel studs on it so literally in a semi-float when you're bolting your wheel up uh, on the vehicle you're bolting it to the axle shaft itself and so that was the concern was when you're wheeling and you get really off camber in a really heavy vehicle and you put all that weight on that 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 wheel, you're putting a lot of leverage on that flange, and the it was bending uh, at the transition between the flange and the ax where the transition between flange and axle shaft is taking place. So that's why I'm saying whenever they went to this and they increased that radius transition, they beefed it up a lot, so it's much more uh, resistant to bending right there. On a full float, now your axle shaft runs similarly it runs all the way from the differential out to the end of the axle tube but it's bolted to the spindle hub or wheel hub it's not directly affected by those outside forces like the semi-float is so if you were to be in the same situation in a jeep with full float hubs where you're really off camber and you got a lot of weight on the deep and a lot of leverage against it that mounting surface that mounting surface is just the wheel hub itself. It's not the axle flange. So you're not going to bend anything there. And so that's the strength, the compromise there between the two is, you're, is you know, on a semi-float, you're putting a lot of stress on the axle shaft directly. But on the, on the full float, you're not. You can still, uh, like as mentioned before, Jake has a full float, and he still twisted the splines on his axle shaft. So it doesn't mean that you're impervious to... A, a potential failure on a full float it just you've mitigated some of those those failures by taking some added stresses off them that are on the semi-float so ryan does that feel like yeah i mean just not everybody no 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 i'm asking you because in my mind you know in my mind yes. i know these things but yeah i know you can see it a lot better than <laughs> others yes you know you're actually, in your head you're actually looking at it and nobody's try, everybody's trying to picture it if they've never seen it right so that's why i brought it up just because, okay you know yeah and, and i've seen it it may be a, a good video, YouTube video, to do like Axle Tech, where we sort of break that down and explain that even further. But um, well, it's just we were talking about it a lot, and so I was like, well, maybe not everybody understands the difference. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Not, not everybody does. So thank you. Feel free at any time, Ryan, to produce add, those production skills. Um, come into <laughs> add valuable input questions to the the podcast. You know. Yeah. Gotcha. You're not just here to be the pretty face. Well, I was going to say something about I'm just, your just beard. let me fill in the blanks. It's We're fine. not just here so Cheryl Anderson <laughs> can have something to be proud of you about. <laughs> wow. Where's my meatloaf? <laughs> Where's meatloaf? The meatloaf? <laughs> ah, meatloaf. Tony, I don't know. I, I know you're working over there too. So, um, were you able to catch any of that? Do you feel like I explained the semi float versus full float? Yeah, no, I think well, you nailed that. I'm just looking at some of the comments on your actual video. I think oh. some people we could answer to at some point in this. Well, thing hey man, I, you you know what? I, that was a, that was a, that's a good point. We did talk about printing off some of these questions from the Axel video and asking them. But I mean, if you got one, man, you got it pulled up far away. I'll be I'll be happy to answer it and make sure okay. we give a shout out to the person that did it. So okay, well this one I did a little research on. If we don't all know it, we kind of got some general numbers. But uh, Doug okay. G asked. How much lighter is the F9 than the Dana 6? 
that you would so, pick that question because I, I looked it up. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Searching forums and you know I didn't find anybody with a scale, but everybody said the Dana sixty um, rear is about four hundred pounds, mm-hmm. and the, the front is about five hundred pounds. On Curry's website, they say that their center section, um, where the third member goes, is fifty pounds lighter, but their axles are a hundred pounds lighter overall than the equivalent in the Dana sixty. So I could see that with the, with, yeah, I could see that on the center section because the nodular, you know, that cast is, is heavy. It's bulky. So I guess I don't know where the other 50 pounds is, but yeah, I don't either. I couldn't figure that out. So I know it's at least 50 pounds lighter. I think they're around 300 pounds when I was talking to Casey on the JK experience. Yeah. Uh, Had that Jeep with the F nines on them. He said the same thing, but that may have been also, he was running an aluminum uh, third member. You know, I was running a nodular. Oh. Um, I had a high nine and nodular in the rear. So I know those are heavier. Mm-hmm. So it could, that third, you know, third members interchangeable too. So you may be able to get up as much as a hundred off. Yeah. Um, and you know, at some point, every little bit counts now mm-hmm. for most people, I don't think it matters. Uh, but in some, some instances it will matter how much weight difference there is. So, uh, I, I like the F9 axles a lot. Let's talk about the F9 axles, or, you know, or not necessarily the Curry F9 axles, but any of the nine inch axles. I'm a big fan of them. One of the selling points that that somebody told me one time about the nine inch axles and the way that third member operates and the way it works is the pinion engagement to the ring gear. The pinion itself has a longer tooth travel as it travels through the ring gear essentially making it stronger than the Dana 60 because it has more engagement, uh, surface engagement, uh, between ring gear and pinion. So that's one of the, the selling points. And, you know, people wonder about how can a nine, why do people say a nine inch is stronger than a Dana 60? Well, that's why it's because of that. And you, and you say a 10 inch also because they're, they're one in the same pretty much. Um, Although I haven't ever ran a 10 inch third member, I guess I can in any of these you can, but I've never done it. I haven't felt the need for it. You know, that brings up a good point. Why wouldn't I? Well, because availability of parts, I guess if you're somewhere and you know, you break something, you want to be able to fix it. I don't think there's much difference between the Dana sixties and the nine inch axle, you know, as far as internally being able to, um, pick parts up off the shelf somewhere, you're probably going to run into the same issues. The nine inch, uh, the high pinion nine inch is, is a harder ringing pinion to, to acquire whenever that happens with the exception of the differential itself is the same between low pinion, high pinion. That, that part doesn't change. I'm just a big fan of the nine inch because I think it's a, it's a sexy looking axle. I like things that most people don't, you know, like the mainstream stuff. I'm not a fan of, I like to run things a little different and that's why I like the nine inch. It's definitely not one that you see out there on everybody's rig. You know, we sell a lot of UD60s here. We sell a lot of Curry axles. Occasionally, we'll sell some Dynatrack stuff. But I just like those 9 inches, man. They just look good. They function really well off-road. Things I don't like about the 9-inch. If you want a locking differential, mechanically locking differential, then you have to run an ARB. And I'm not a huge fan of the ARBs. And You know, we can talk. We can have a podcast about lockers some other time. But... Uh, things I don't like about the ARBs is that they leak often and, you know, they do require service. Things I like about the 9-inch is that the serviceability, being able to just on a full floater, especially being able to pull the axle shafts out a little bit and remove the entire third member from the housing easily, setting it up on a bench, doing the gears on the bench or whatever, and then reinstalling them into the housing why they're popular in off-road like in racing and stuff is because if you have a failure of some sort in your differential then it's not a total loss you can actually have a a spare differential uh, on standby you could change your gear ratios faster if you already have them pre-built and waiting so it's not as much of a headache to change ratios there's advantages to the nine inch axle assemblies other than them just looking awesome and beautiful underneath there. And I think Curry does a really good job on theirs. There's other options out there. You do spider tracks. Uh, you can buy rough stuff or trail gear housings and build them out. I've done that before. Um, but the Curry, just the, the way that the diff in the back, especially the way it just the angles on it, whatever, it just looks good. And it's, it's, it's a good looking axle. So I like it. I, I ran one, I run one in the back of my F one fifty as, as a matter of fact. 
So, and you can brace them up. You can weld straight to them for tabbing. If you're going to go with a with the uh, triangulation or whatever, then you don't have to necessarily build a, a bridge or truss over the differential. You can weld straight to the housing. So, a lot of advantages in there to run those and, and the reasons why they're really popular. So, big fan of them. Dynatrack, because we could talk about the 60s, Dynatrack offers 60, 80 packages. In my opinion, I've never been a big fan of the 80 because they just take up so much room in the in the rear. Tony, have you ever pondered and thought maybe about running uh, 80s in the rear? Nope, never did. I thought 60s would be enough for the way I drive and the way I wheel. And then I went to the F9, obviously, for the hemi-swap Jeep. So. Mm-hmm. And I like the F9s, even to go, to go back to your point just a second on that. Um, I thought... For me, being able to pull out that third member was going to be great. Um, I thought, well, this will be handy. I can work on this thing um, and or just pull a third member out and ship it off somewhere. But what the things I didn't think about is I didn't think far enough ahead to get an inspection portal put in mind. I ordered it without it, and I didn't order a plug to drain it. Yes. So every wanted to service my axle, I had to pull that third member out, and I don't have a lift. So for me, that's, you know, they're, they're heavy, especially when you're just laying on your back in the, in the garage. So. Um, that was probably the only downside to it is that I didn't order it that way. Had I ordered it that way, yeah. perfect axle. Yeah. hundred percent. But for yeah. me, that's that drain plug in the Dynatrack. <laughs> hey, Bubba, how's the new shop coming along? Oh, yeah. That's not really an axle question. Why do people no, I'm just messing with you. It ain't done yet. I'll tell you that. Right, here's one. Uh, Flexit is asking if uh, Dana, Dana Spicer offers those axles without brackets. Like you can get an F9 without bracket. Uh, yeah, you can get the UD60s bracketless. Done it before. And that's a great, you know, if you guys are building like a TJ build or something, you know, where you're going to be doing a lot of custom suspension work and you don't want those brackets on there, then absolutely you can order um, UD60s without brackets. Well, Not a go. bad axle either. I, re- I really like the UD60. I, uh, I know when they first came out, they, uh, they caught a lot of flack for a lot of things that, uh, but it seems like they corrected a lot of that stuff. And, you know, there were some horror stories out there, though, that uh, mislabeling the gear ratios on, on UD60s and guys blowing up transfer cases and shit. Yeah. You know, really? you got to throw it in four high and boom, you know, while they're driving. Throw it in four high, going 30 miles an hour in a heavy built uh, rig with uh, mismatched gear ratios between front and rear, yeah. Uh, oh, that's what you mean. Holy crap. Bad day. Bad that's, day. That's- Improperly preloading some, some bearings, you know, or not even preloading them. Weak material for brackets, weak welds, stuff like that. They, there was a lot of issues, but it seemed like Spicer jumped in and eventually, you know, ultimately got all that stuff resolved because we hadn't seen any issues. One time, a couple of years ago, they probably didn't align both sides of the housing when they were welding in the brackets and we fought, we, we were fighting something. We figured out what, what the problem was. But for the most part though, we've installed a ton of those axles. They have great brakes, you know, with the Eaton lockers, they're very reliable. Uh, so the UD 60 has been great. So I like that axle. It's unfortunate that they raised the price on them enough to make them kind of price themselves out of the market. In my opinion, yep. we got a pistol Borex. Asking uh, what you think of TerraFlex axles. Have you ever ran them? Do you know anything about them? Um, seen them. Don't really, um, you know, there's going to be another question there about fusion axles in a little yeah. bit. If you scroll through, I don't have anything. I don't have anything personal against the TerraFlex axles. It's just, I, I feel like if you're going to build something, you stick to one thing and you do good. You do it good, right? I don't think the guy that makes the weird what is that part that you can buy and put on the drive shaft to increase the angle so it doesn't go out? You that's know, it's, no, it's no, that's on the, that's that's on the, the TJ. Yeah, Terraflex makes a part that for the JK that to replace the the repesa joint or whatever on the on the at the transfer case. Point being is Terraflex makes a lot of stuff. It's not all bad. It's not all great. I just have a problem with like companies that build try and build everything. That would be like rock crawler coming out tomorrow and saying they build their own axle housings and this is what they are. it's like, well, I had the same problem with the Falcon shocks. Do I think Falcon shocks are bad? No, not at all. But I figure if you're going to be spending the kind of money that you would f- spend 
on Falcon shocks. And I should be fair that Falcon kind of falls in the middle between budget end price shocks and high end shocks. Uh, Falcon somewhere in the middle, and I think that's what they were shooting for. But it just seems like Terraflex tries to put their fingers in all the, all the pies. And well, if I'm buying an axle, I want to buy an axle from a manufacturer that they specialize in building axles because that's a ton of money to buy tons. And you know, if, if you're going to be pouring money into that, you know, go with somebody that's been building differentials forever, like Curry. Dynatrack's been building it for a long time. I tell you one guy that you're not going to see on there a lot, and, and this kind of touches on the fusion thing, is East Coast Gear Supply makes great axles. I believe they're a little, they're beginning to get a little bit more noticed. I know that certain companies out there are having their axles built, and we notice, man, these look very similar to something that East Coast Gear Supply would build. Well, it's because East Coast Gear Spy is the one building them. Those guys aren't building their own axles. East Coast Gear Spy, and I'm not going to name names, but and I think that's kind of stupid that a guy would do that. It's like me saying, "Oh, we'll buy the Exodus four x four, you know, Dana sixty. Well, why would you buy it from me? I mean, I'm not an axle manufacturer unless I'm taking Super Duty axles and I'm building them out for a specific purpose built. If you're just looking to buy crate like sixties front and rear then, you know, go to a company that builds axles. Don't go to guys that build suspensions and, you know, grab handles and shocks and whatever else. Brakes, you know, know, I mean, but the, I mean, the brakes kind of go with axles, but, um, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of different things that they're involved in. And so I think that I'd rather buy it from a, somebody that focuses on building axles. I mean, is that, is that a fair answer? Or am I being yeah. unfair? Great answer. And I think it was Forrest Strong that brought up East Coast in your thing, if we're going to give shout out. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. yeah. What um, else you got there? <laughs> this one was interesting. Uh, this guy just said he picked up a set of Dynatrack uh, 4460 Serious Performance Combo. That's what they're called. Um, and uh, for his JK with ARB lockers, and they were in stock, which uh, some people didn't appreciate because they've been waiting on the <laughs> <laughs> Not from you, but <laughs> they're just like, where in the hell did you get them? <laughs> that's a big oopsie. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that combo we were talking about that I, you know, I initially was looking at for JK and a buddy of mine installed them on his two door. Yeah. Um, helped him. I mean, cause he didn't have to change his wheels. He had wheels picked out that he liked. He didn't want to change the wheels and he was never going to rock crawl it. It was always going to be just a beefed up trail rig. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, the trail rider package, I think is one that Dynatrack offered, which was the front axle built with the 35 spline or 30, maybe it may have still been a 30 spline locker in the front, but the rear would come with the 35 spline ARB locker, or you could, you, you could request aux and shafts and everything you would need to convert your, you know, your sport to a very capable trail rig. That price used to be like 7,500 or something like that. So for all the parts and you still had to have somebody install all this stuff, but uh, I thought that was a, you know, pretty good package for people. You know, another one that I haven't heard a lot about lately would be carbon off road. They were using or are using curry housings uh, basically, and then putting their carbon off road axle shafts in them. And they had like a 15 year warranty or something like that. Yeah. Well, there was a 15-year and then a 10-year. Was a 10-year on the shafts or on the on the housings, or vice versa? What was what was all that warranty about? But it was a great warranty. I just remember seeing the 15-year advertised. I don't know. Yeah, I know it was something. Yeah, because that was like the thing that would always pop up on my feeds. Yeah, 15-year for this. You know, I guess that brings up a good point about the axle shafts. We didn't touch on that enough. Good reputable brands for replacement axle shafts that people could put in. Uh, just to name off a few revolution gear and axle, I like those guys a lot because when you'd order axle shafts, they would come in already pre-installed with the bearings and seals already on them. So we would, guys wouldn't have to take them out of the box and press them together and everything. That's, that's a, you know, that's a problem for the guy doing it in his garage. Cause not everybody has a press set up to do that. Uh, fortunately, you know, as a shop, we have that. So not a big deal when we'd have to do that, but it is easier to take it out of the box and bolt it in 10 factory. That's a good one because they seem to always have a good amount of parts available and they have a 10-year warranty on their shaft. So Yukon seems a little bit pricier for the same product and not much gain on customer service or anything else. So 
I think between that, you know, I think Revolution's always been my favorite axle shaft to buy because of the the fact that they were already put together. What you got, Tony? You got another question over there? Nope. I think that's it. I mean, there's a lot of questions, but they're not related to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that the good questions were that that stumped me were the the weight questions. So yeah, and a lot of uh, I think a lot of people see you responding and they start asking other questions, which is fine. But yep. If you, I guess, if you want to shout out on a video, <laughs> that yeah. does work. I'll just uh, name drop. We'll do it. Yeah, that's that's one of the things we're going to try and focus on is uh, maybe you know going back in the YouTube archives and finding some videos out there that were popular that people had a lot of questions on and that being the subject matter so that we can kind of go through and you, you begin to see the same question asked over and over again so you kind of be like well that's definitely something that a lot more than just one person's thinking it seems like a lot of people are asking that sometimes people don't ask that question uh, because they've seen it already asked so maybe a lot of questions the same questions uh, we could go out there and just sort of reiterate some of those videos and, and what we thought but all that talk about axles Tony, you think going forward, then you're, you're definitely in the curry market on your, on your gladiator that you recently purchased. Yep. I'll, I think I'm going to run the semis. Yeah. Just seems like the right thing to do, especially if I have to drop $600 a wheel for this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to. So. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's the, that's the biggest selling point on those axles alone. Well, other than the, the very nice price that they have on them. But the yeah. fact that a guy, you know, like I said, you get these guys building these rigs up and then they find out that they're not going to be able to use those wheels and that's another expense they're going to have to buy. But when you can give them that option, it's an easy sell and they don't have to get rid of it. I had a guy here yesterday wanted to do a Hemi and that was one of the topics, points that we covered was that, you know, because he's already got, he's already got beadlock wheels on there. He's already painted the beadlock rings the color he wants. You know, he's got everything set the way he wants, tires on it and everything. He doesn't want to have to pay a bunch of money to dismount that tire and mount it on another beadlock. So, are they available? How available are those axles? Like lead time, do you know? Realistically, 12, 14 weeks, I think, probably is okay. is a lead time on them. You know, They're if you order time. them right, if you order them with that forty spline, two thousand twenty four. Other than price and strength and looks, is there anything mm-hmm. else about an axle that we really? I mean. I guess the ability, the the comfort and bolt in versus, yeah. you know, you got a guy in there asking about bracketless axles. That is a good question. Yeah, on the UD60s, you can do that. I'm not sure on the Curries. I have not ordered any, you know, special axle uh, bracket configurations on them. I know I asked Dynatrack one time, would it be easier, you know, hey, can you guys leave off the lower control on brackets? Because one of my favorite long arm kits to install is the Evo high clearance. We have to remove the lower control arm bracket from the axle and weld in a special bracket. It would be nice if I could order it from the factory or the, you know, manufacturer without that bracket on there. Dynatrack was like, well, yeah, we can do that. It'll cost more. And I always thought that was strange. I'm like, well, why is it going to cost more? But they have the reasons for it, whatever, but it can be done. And I believe Curry would probably give us the same answer. Now, whether it would cost more or not, I don't know. But considering most of these axles are made to order you can't order them with or without brackets the ud60s are mass produced so you know they're they come with or without but i don't you're not going to be able to order them with certain brackets removed and the rest of them staying on there so that's a good point i like that question that got asked so like i was going to run the rock collar rock crawler triangulation kit on the rear Mm -hmm. probably bracket right no that you won't be able to do on there we'd have to build a, and we've done that before in the ud60 we we didn't we did an axle like that where we made that that configuration work no we'll never do it again though that was just too much of a <laughs> so thing just of, uh, in the ass. don't want it <laughs> bringing up stuff about axles you know when do you beef up externally when do you beef it up um we talked about is a truss necessary on a stock dana 44 axle and you know what kind of truss is is it is worth it sleeves never been a fan of sleeves never ever have i been a fan of sleeving an axle tube i just because i still seen them break at the housing that is a ruined day like you're not driving that vehicle if you bend an axle tube yeah you can drive it home but you're not going to drive a broken axle at the housing you know man you're having that thing to towed home so 
I don't think that the uh, the sleeves are a great option. You know, they may work for some people out there listening. Just They've asked me to do it. Okay, well, by the time I put these sleeves in, weld them in, put the sea gussets on, put the axle truss on, you know, all the parts and labor involved in that would be better spent towards uh, the purchase. Not saying you're going to be able to buy one of those Pro Rock 44s or Curry 44 housings, but you're going to be a lot closer to it if you take all that money and that you would have spent beefing up that stock axle and putting it in an aftermarket. And then, my goodness, if you talked about taking a Dana 30 and putting a locker in it, re-gearing it and all that stuff, you're way closer instead of spending that money on that stuff. If you just take it and apply it towards that, that aftermarket housing. So Ryan, my man, you got anything else to add over there? Are you just going to, are you just playing with your beard? Yeah, just playing with my beard. No, I, I don't have anything else to add. I mean, to be honest with you, it's, I've only had the stock 44s and the UD 60s. So yeah. a personal experience, I don't have much other than those two sets of axles. Yeah. Liked them both for what I needed them for. The 37s ran great on the 44s and the 40s have so far run great on the UD 60s, but... You know, that's all my experience personally. So I didn't have much more outside of those axles. I didn't have much well, more personal experience. You have any questions? You feel like the the um... no the semi float and the full float thing was the only thing I wanted to explain properly. I got one last question. Oh, absolutely, man! What's up? All right, so Curry's got semi float sixty by sixty for JL mm-hmm. and JK, mm-hmm. but uh, Dynatrack has a forty four sixty combo that fits that same mark that they don't have a 60 60 combo mm-hmm. correct okay. yeah i believe uh i believe the only people doing that is curry fusion might i don't have any opinions either way on fusion i think that they the axles that i've seen of theirs build are are, are solid i just haven't like maybe i've seen one or two over the last few years it's just not we don't get a lot of those i like to stick to those those brands that we've talked about, if I'm selling a customer set of axles, it's probably going to be one of those just because of the relationship that we have already with the manufacturer in regards to fusion. And, you know, cause people have asked that question. I don't have an opinion really either way, other than what I've seen. It looks just like a Dana 60 and a Dana 80. Now I do believe that fusion will build you a hybrid axle like the Curry, the Dana 60 front, Dana 60 rear. So and they may be the first ones to do it, if I if I, if I recall correctly, I think they did. They were one of the first, but there was a forty four sixty. Oh, I they, thought they built a sixty front also. Now they well they may have now, but before because I looked at them at one point in time and they were forty four sixty, and I feel like for whatever reason that you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like the fusion axles are based more towards like a DIYer, and that's why we maybe never see them. I see a lot of guys that uh, like to do their own stuff in their garage, go that route. They want the kingpin axles. Uh, Fusion's big on the kingpin stuff. I'm not going to say that I'm against them or for them or against them, whatever, but that's usually the the reason you see a, a Fusion axle is because of the kingpin option. Now, most everything that we talked about here today was, was a ball joint setup, not a kingpin. Now, if you don't like ball joints, you could use the uh, the ball joint delete kits from american iron off-road so that's an option just saying uh we've put them in some stuff and i like it looks good the only downside is uh they i don't want to say it's a downside it's a thing apparently they don't return to center when you let go of the wheel so it's a little bit a little bit more rigid setup and he is uh, i think josh is working on fixing that right now with a different style bearing or something that i was reading but it doesn't always have to be ball joints and kingpins so you got varying mounting services. The mounting services on the semi-float 60s, same as the factory axles on a Rubicon, or are they wider? Yeah, I believe those are a 68-inch wheel mounting surface. I'm, I'd have to uh, look that up. 68-inch stock JL Rubicon width. It is one and a half inches over non-Rubicon models. So that's what you're going to get. I believe that's the same in the JK as well. Ah, 65.375 is the stock JK width. But for some reason, I thought that they were just going with a 68-inch overall to make it more seamless in production, I guess. So, yes, the answer to your question, Tony, is 
the curry axles that we've been talking so much about in this episode were uh, for the JL are 68 inches, and then in the JK they're 65 and 3 eighths or something like that. They are there to mimic the Rubicon width on the JL and JT and the stock width overall on the JK. So uh, you're not going to gain much from it, and I do not believe that you can order those in custom width. Like you can some of the other axles you can order uh, custom width. Just about any every manufacturer will do that. So it's just going to take longer lead time and maybe a little bit more money, but it is so it's doable. Perfect. It's the exact drop in that you need to improve everything. You yeah. Your track, anything. your track with won't increase and your wheels exactly where I think you were going with that was your offset on your wheels won't play into, it won't have any effect on that. So you'll still be able to drop those axles and use those same wheels and it's going to look exactly like it did before. The only thing you have to, like I said, you got to have a high clearance tie rod and, um, the brakes, you have to move the brakes over uh, in the rear. Yeah. Well, so if anybody has any questions for Ryan or Ryan's mom, just True comment that. next video that Bubba puts out and we'll get those answers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. If anybody <laughs> wants to hear what Cheryl Anderson has to say about this, make sure you comment. All right, well, let's Thanks. wrap it up, guys. Thanks. Thank you once again, fellas, for uh, powwowing with me here. And thank you once again to everybody else who watched. We'll see you next time. <laughs>